That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, hot time, summer in the city, back yeah. in my neck, getting dirt and gritty. There you are in, in uh, wherever you are. Indeed, Although, it does, and the, and the city is ripe. You're in Spain now, right? Yeah, uh, I am just getting back. So I'm preaching at Calvary St. George's this Sunday. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I get back on and the We're 25th. recording in the middle of May. It is pre-Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're walking our listeners through this for the second Sunday uh, after Pentecost. And we are doing the track two option, which means the readings for today are... Um, 1 Kings 19, 15 through 16, the story of Elisha getting his life turned upside down mm-hmm. uh, and to go live with his auntie and uncle in Bel Air. And then we have Galatians 5, um, where they skip the whole interesting part about circumcision, but they do talk about the fruit of the Spirit, so that's fine. And then Luke 9, where we have Jesus having hard conversations with uh, and the disciples that, uh, that have reasons to not hang with uh with mr jesus so uh let's jump in here i'm just cutting the small talk let's not do the the let's not check in on each other's lives one because we just did so when we recorded the previous week's Mm -hmm. episode but in our time 20 minutes ago and two i've got an appointment coming up in about 20 minutes so let's hit it and quit (laughs) to quote the great godfather of soul james brown so first kings you got elisha uh, there's a lot of names here, like Shafat and Abel Mehola, so make sure... That's what I wanted um, to name Henry, but Melina said I know, no. but then Melina was like, nope, we don't want him to get beat up every day. Shafat. So, get over here, Shafat. Nimshi. Nimshi. Have you cleaned your robe, Nimshi? So just make sure you've told your lector to practice the reading before she gets up there on Sunday, because otherwise you might have that panicked look in there. You don't want her to say Shafat. <laughs> Ha-ha! <laughs> so many ways it could go wrong. It is. Uh, that would ruin so, the service. Uh, but anyway, the, the, so what, what's going the, yeah. on here? Well, it's this passage of Elijah uh, transferring his power, peaceful transition of power, um, to Elisha, so similarly named. It's very confusing. Been stumping Bible readers for generations. But uh, I think what I would, so here's, Elijah has to pick somebody, or God has picked somebody to be the, the next prophet. Uh, God is very specific. Uh, you shall know Elisha, son of Shaphat of Ebel-Mahola, as prophet in your place. So um, we, in, in the, the people of the Bible, we're not cult of personality people, so we share power, we transition leadership. You know, Moses transitions it to Joshua, um, and here Elijah transitions it to Elisha. And he throws this mantle over him. And I think if I were preaching this, I would talk about the work of God coming out of left field, just Mm -hmm. out of a clear blue sky, totally unexpected. Elisha is not in seminary. He's out there plowing, plowing a lot, 12 yoke of oxen. So, I mean, that is 24 
oxen that I mean that's you could you could pull a redwood from the national forest in California with that many oxen I mean they could I don't know what he's plowing but he's it's a lot of plowing anyways he's out there doing his job this hard work and that's when God calls him and just we often think of God working in our life he only does it when we deserve it when we're ready when we're seeking him with all our heart but here Elisha's not seeking at all, and God shows up. So that's the first thing I would say. We need God to come into our lives out of a clear blue sky. The second thing is uh, how when God comes, he kind of turns over everything, like it's a radical departure from your previous existence. So Elisha slaughters the oxen, um, has a big feast for his neighbors, gives all the boiled oxen meat to his people. and uh, he uses the equipment from the oxen, meaning he takes all the, the wooden yokes and, um, and uses it to make a fire to boil the people. So um, it's just a, he's just completely getting rid of everything. He's like selling his big house and it's van life from, yeah. from now on. That's, that's, an important, that's an important note, I think, is, yeah, not only uh, God comes into your life and flips everything around, but... You know, some people, because he asks, hey, can I go back and uh, say goodbye to my father and mother, you know, and, and which harkens to like kind of what Jesus says, you know, follow me and leave yeah. the dead to bury their dead. You know, no one, yeah, having put his, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and but what you see here is, so in the, uh, so, I mean, uh, he could have he kept the oxen. That was a lot of money. You know what I mean? He could yeah, have kept it's, it's the equipment. Yeah, it's a huge financial sacrifice. He could have kept the equipment and, you know, hey, things don't work out. I'll just go on back to plowing fields or whatever. But in the, th- in the, uh, in the, in the notion of slaughtering the oxen and, uh, you know, and getting rid of the equipment, what he is doing, what's being said here is that actually when God calls you, uh, he calls all of you. And uh, he calls you to leave the past behind. And so in the slaughtering of the oxen and the and uh, the destruction of the equipment, um, he's making a commitment to follow um, Elijah and uh, to yep. to be the heir of what God has called him to be. And never forget that. I mean, I think that's that's an encouraging word is that when God calls you, he calls all of you, not just part of you. And that can be very scary, um, but it's the safest place to be. And he will provide for you. Mm. So... Uh, and then we come to the Galatians reading and and we're seeing, as you've already referenced, kind of looking ahead, the Luke reading is going to be Jesus kind of calling people Mm -hmm. to follow him. Elisha is called to follow God as prophet. And here in the Galatians reading, Paul is talking about us being called to freedom. This is in the context of a gigantic conversation about circumcision. And you see it's verse one of chapter five, then it skips verse two through 12, and then picks up again in verse 13. And in skipping it, you miss that great gem of Pauline Mm. writing where he's, because it's talking about circumcision, people that think that yes, you can be a Jesus follower if you're a Gentile, but you have to get circumcised and follow all these other rules. And Paul's trying to say, no, hard pass on that. You really are free from the law. But he talks about people who want Gentiles to get circumcised. He says, I wish they would go the whole way and quote, emasculate themselves or in other translations, cut the whole thing off. Just get out the machete and lop off the whole Vienna sausage. And that's, uh, it's a very colorful part of Paul's writing, but mm. it is skipped here. But that's the context. So he's talking about yeah. for freedom, Christ has set us free. Just as we said last week in the Galatians passage, Paul is saying we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We don't have that mean tutor, Miss Hannigan, anymore. And we're set free. And so don't come again under a yoke of slavery. Don't, you're called to freedom. And then, but then also anticipating 
the people who will accuse Paul of antinomian. What do you mean it's all by grace? What do you mean we don't have to do anything? What do you mean the law is fulfilled? Are you saying people are going to do whatever they want? It's going to be mass hysteria. People will be drinking beer in the daytime and not working hard enough, watching Netflix at their desk instead of doing the next spreadsheet. So uh, if you just give people freedom, they'll just take advantage of you. And Paul says, no, 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 you've forgotten that the Holy Spirit is in us. And if if the Holy Spirit is in you, the Spirit brings out all these fruits. And not because you have to to make God love you by being a good little person, but the Spirit does this work in you. And so that's that. it's a summary of what the Christian life looks like, where it comes from, and uh, and how it, how it all works. Yeah. Um, yeah, what would you say, Jake? No, I, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, just, you know, if I can reiterate, um, you know, I mean, I think so often in the pastoral life, we think uh, people can um, overcome sin by telling them to do more, you know, and, uh, and Paul is saying the exact opposite. Christ has set us free. Uh, the Spirit... Uh, counters the flesh with the gospel and our connection mm. to Christ through baptism and now through his spirit uh, well well that's we walk in step with him whether you whether you know it or not and so you know he lists these things uh, but you know this isn't uh, comprehensive uh, the, you know and what Paul is not saying is instead of sexual sexual immorality you just need to love more you know that's not what he's saying he's saying um, uh, we have the flesh and we have the spirit, and uh, the source of the flesh is counter to God's spirit, and uh, God's spirit instead is creating and in, in living within us, um, mm. uh, so that we might bear fruit, and that's what it is. But being in the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, when the Holy Spirit is delivered to you, uh, well, well, there is fruit, and uh, you know, and I always want to talk about this a little bit. Like I grew up with a lot of. Um, I grew up uh, in a town where there were a lot of orange trees, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, citrus was a big thing. We had an orange tree in our backyard. And uh, when um, uh, some years, I mean, dude, the weather conditions were perfect. In our backyard, we had oranges that would rival uh, anything Sunkist had. But then there were other years where the summer was hot, a frost came too early, and the oranges just kind of, sometimes there weren't any at all. But it, it didn't change the fact that it was an orange tree. And so uh, I think what Paul is getting at here is that you are in the spirit. You are an orange tree. And, uh, and uh, you know, don't fall back into the flesh and counting fruit. That, that only makes things worse. Rather live in the freedom and for the sake of your neighbor uh, that God has placed you to do. Yeah. And, you know, if you try to appeal to your flesh to make more fruit... Paul tells you that's not going to work because the works of the flesh come out, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, strife, jealousy, anger. So the more you try to make your flesh produce fruit by your own willpower, you will just make yourself more anxious, more neurotic, more compartmentalized. That's why, again, a lot of these sins, you know, we think about sin as being the fornication stuff, but he talks about factions, dissensions, like the fact that our country is split in all these polarized political debates, like this, that's a work of the flesh, not a work of the spirit. It's all uh, Because the fruit of the spirit is generosity, gentleness, patience. How much patience do you see on social media? How much patience do you see on talk shows where you have people discussing current events and politics? Mm-hmm. Not a lot. So, um, and the, you know, I want to say here to one other thing is that when Paul writes in verse 21, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's important to remember that Paul is not saying, if you have ever done any of these things, you're going straight to hell. That's not what he says. He says you won't inherit the kingdom of God, meaning 
If your life is characterized by reliance on the flesh, your own power and willpower, you, you will see anger and dissensions and neurosis and anxiety, and you will not be experiencing the peace that passes all understanding that comes in the kingdom of God. Amen. Um, this is not an eschatological statement, meaning an end-time statement. The, Jesus, the kingdom of God is here now or not here now, and whether you're experiencing that or not is determined on whether you're trying to live on your own steam and your own power, or are you letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, which is to bring about the fruit. So again, this is not a turn or burn, don't go to hell verse, but people read it that way. Anyways, that's all I want to say. Isn't that so sad that this amazing epistle, um, this amazing epistle that has, um, that is so about so much Christian freedom has been used as a bludgeon in this way. And if that's happened to you, you know, um, just on behalf of the church, we're sorry. Amen. I, I echo that. So we go to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he is uh, going through the Samaritan's village, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, supposed to go around yeah, it around him. Jewish person. You can't go over um, it, can't go under it, must go around it. Did you ever yep, play that, that, that game? The, 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 yeah, yeah, like we're going on a bear yeah, hunt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway. I too had a childhood, Jake. He was on a Samaritan Spike hunt. So, yeah. But they didn't want anything that's, to do with him. <laughs> and the James and John want to basically bring down uh, cruise missiles on this place uh, because they, they cause the Samaritans are like, oh, he's Jewish. He's so, going to Jerusalem. Well, his, he's not one of our yeah, own. Yeah, his face is set towards Jerusalem. I mean, that, that, that there's, there's two implications there. There's the first that uh, the Samaritans uh, worshipped on Mount uh, Gerizim. And then not Jerusalem, but also um, it's uh, they are uh, they are uh, consumed with doing it themselves religion as well, and his face is set towards I'm going to do it for you, and uh, this yep. is why uh, when James and John are like, uh, hey, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? He turns and he's just not like, hey, girls, chill out. He rebukes them. And he rebukes them because his face is set towards Jerusalem where he's going to lay his life down for Jew and Samaritan, Greek, free, and slave. Can I give a little spicy take on this? Ooh, I'd love it. All right, so Picante. many times religious people, when they see secular people or at least other religious people they don't agree with doing something, they want to call down fire upon them. I think about how there are many people in our own Christian family, and I you know, speak broadly, who want to do things like restore prayer in schools, for example. <laughs> um, big case in the Supreme Court uh, about a coach, a really nice football coach in the Northwest who was praying on the 50-yard line. Um, and so there's people that just uh, out there that see people, like religious people see secular people doing things they don't like, and they want to call down fire upon them. And they're sort of in the spirit of James and John. What? You've rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. We will smite you. We will bring you down. Um, and uh, we'll call in the drones and heavy artillery. And what's amazing is that Jesus rebukes his religious disciples who want to bring about a punishment. So they, they had, like, the Samaritans were wrong in rejecting Jesus. Mm -hmm. But Jesus has mercy on them. Yeah. So if there's somebody that is... Uh, you know, religious people, they need to do a lot more prayer for their enemies uh, as opposed, and being compassionate and merciful and loving towards their enemies like Jesus was and is 
as opposed to let's see how we can destroy these people and uh, and bring about their demise with our anger and our outrage. Yeah, so yeah, I just I think it's it's an amazing thing how we so often react much more like James and John instead of acting like Jesus, even though we say we're doing it in Jesus' name. Jesus yeah. doesn't need your indignation. Jesus doesn't need you to defend to defend him. Jesus doesn't need you to like fight on his behalf. He can do it on his own. Yeah. And in fact, he'd rather just forgive people. Yeah. What, is that yeah, spicy enough? No, I love it. I mean, I mean, I saw it this week, you know, with all of, um, you know, this is, I mean, it's never dated, but there's, you know, uh, uh, women's health and uh, abortion is, uh, is big in the news right now. And, uh, down at Union Square, there was a, a big rally, and uh, and some folks from outside the city, also some religious folks, came in, and in um, the two groups, I mean, you literally thought that they were going to. I mean, there was so much fire being called down that uh, I'm. I wondered if there was still going to be a Union Square left. And uh, the truth is, is that we can uh, get so entrenched on our own side. Um, and what we think is right, uh, that uh, we, we actually stopped seeing, and this is what had happened in that culture with the Samaritans and the Jews, they stopped seeing each other as actually human beings and uh, people created in God's image. And um, I love what our friend Nadia Boltz-Weber always says, you know, if you find yourself so adamantly on one side of the issue, no matter how right, uh, Jesus might be on the other side. <laughs> so, uh, yep. um, you know, I think that's something to remember and uh, that's something I always... Um, I, uh, I keep to the forefront of my mind whenever I'm feeling very passionate about something. Hmm. So then they, you know, Jesus rebukes them. They're probably disappointed they didn't get to see uh, uh, the fire come down and, and consume the Samaritans. And by the way, there was an absolute level of like ethnic hatred here too. Like, so let's not, mm -hmm. you know, we people still have a really hard time talking about race in this country, but that is people have always had a hard time mm -hmm. with um, racial and ethnic differences, and there was that going on here too, by the way. And again, Jesus rebukes them for it. Mm -hmm. So they go on to another village, and as they have these three encounters, like people that kind of come up, Jesus, this itinerant preacher, moving through, like walking on these roads in Israel, um, and somebody runs up and says, "I will follow you wherever you go." And basically, Jesus says, "Do you know what you're signing up for? Foxes of the have holes, birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to sleep." Um, and so if you follow me, be careful what you're signing up for. The other conversation, he says, follow me. And the person wants to go, you know, bury my father, which basically means it's not like his father has just died and is laid out in the morgue and he needs to go like mm. pay for the casket and put a deposit down on the burial plot. What this means is uh, tombs were expensive. Uh, you had to build an above ground tomb, generally speaking, because there's no topsoil in the Holy Land. And so it's expensive to do that, especially get a good one that will see, you know, if you want to have one that's on that hill facing Jerusalem, um, so at the day of the resurrection, you can be facing the right direction. It's very pricey real estate for the afterlife. And he says, let me go bury my father. He's like, let me go and advance my career to get to the point where I can buy the tomb and have the, the nice stuff for dad. Let me, um, let me work out before I go to the gym. I'd like to get part. I'd, I'd like to get partner at law firm before I go to seminary. Yeah, like, let right. me get my financial stuff all taken care of before mm -hmm. I serve you, Lord. Um, and uh, and and Jesus says, no. Uh, let the dead bury their own. Let the dead bury their own dead. And then um, the other person says, I'll follow you, but let me say goodbye first. And Jesus yeah. says, no. AKA don't that, that what that means is, let me pencil you in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me make yeah. you one of many priorities. Let me let me pencil you in, Lord. That's right. And so Jesus also says no to that. The important thing, though, if you preach on this passage and you're going to talk about these things, um, I think 
again, this is this is showing what human beings are like, which shows that we don't deserve what Jesus does for us. Jesus does not, in this situation, throw up his hands and say, God, Father, take me back home. I'm done with these stiff-necked people. You know, he continues to set his face to Jerusalem um, because he, as these people all fail to fulfill the law, Jesus does fulfill the law for them and gives himself mm. for them. So um, yeah. we are supposed to feel convicted. Yes, we put our hand to the plow and we look back. We do try to make Jesus one of many priorities. We do try to advance our own career before we serve the Lord. We do all these things, and yet Jesus still gives himself for That's us. Right. And he gives us. So it's supposed to bring us, to, it's supposed to be the law here as a schoolmaster, as mm-hmm. we said last week yeah. in Galatians. It shows us where we fall short, and Jesus then gives us his righteousness yeah. and the great gift of eternal life. And that's that's exactly it, yeah. He has set his face to Jerusalem, and so uh, and he has fulfilled all things, all the law in Jerusalem. And so now for freedom, Christ has set us free, you know, and so uh, stand firm. And uh, that is not a prescription. That is simply a description of who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that'll do it for this third Sunday after Pentecost, uh, this uh, proper 18, or proper eight, sorry, in year C of the Revised Common Lectionary. Know that you're loved, uh, know that Jesus has given all for you, and uh, rely on him when you ascend into the pulpit or when you sit um, in front of one. Either way, you're loved by God and the gospel is true. So that's all we got. Until next time. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.